I'm creative business coach, Anastasia Williams, and you are listening to Making Magic, a podcast for fiber artists, makers, and creatives who are looking to craft a business with intention. Hello, welcome to episode 26. Oh my goodness, 26. Here we go. Um, just so you know, things sound a little different. I hope they do. Uh, I have switched the way that I'm recording things. I've decided to stop using my lavalier mic that plugs directly into my phone, partially because my child like stole parts of it and now I can't find them because they've gone to Narnia and I don't want to buy another one because, oh, it's really annoying that iPhones only have that lightning charger port thing. And it's just, uh, if I lose it, it's just, I'm screwed. So instead I'm going to switch to using my computer and my microphone that I have plugged in through a USB. And this, I think, I think it'll be, I think it'll be good, but I do want to also let you know that if you ever want a podcast, if you ever want to record, you don't have to buy fancy equipment. Things are very cheap these days. Um, I bought both of my microphones on Amazon, which I have a really hard time saying that out loud because I really disagree with Amazon. I try not to buy from them when I can, but I also live in the middle of nowhere and don't have a lot of money. So this is where we're at. But I digress. Today, I want to talk about doing things in person, uh, in person events specifically, and talking about how those function, how you can make the most of them, how you can do things nicely visually and all the kinds of things that go with marketing yourself in real life. And I am going to speak a lot from experience because again, I was previously a natural yarn dyer. I did a lot of fiber festivals, trade shows, farmers markets, trunk shows, etc., etc., etc. So I want to impart the things that I have learned, um, on top of things that I have heard from other people and help you with those. And it's really interesting. This hasn't come up much before because when starting this podcast and starting my own business, obviously we're in the middle of the pandemic and really, to be honest, we still are. But now, at least for a little bit, we were starting to kind of move out of feeling we were cramped up in our homes. We got vaccinated and now we're kind of moving back out into the world in certain places. But then now we have the Delta variant and now we're kind of going the opposite direction. But if you are in a place that either ignores the pandemic, which, you know, I live in one of those places, um, or you are feel comfortable being in an in-person event that is still happening, or you want to do in-person events in the future above and beyond the pandemic, if it ever ends, then this podcast will be for you. And whether or not you are somebody who sells a product or a service, or you feel like you definitely know your product will do well at one of those shows, or you do a service and you thought, I never considered even having my stuff at a show, we're going to talk to you too. So, and by we, I mean me, but we, we will get there. So stick around. I think you're going to get some stuff out of it. I think you'll get stuff out of it regardless, because a lot of this is just about human behavior and how to interact with people, um, which is, seems very funny to say out loud, but I think that it's a skill that a lot of people are lacking. Um, if you know that you're lacking that skill, 
I applaud you for being cognizant of that and we are going to work through it. But first of all, I want to talk about why in-person events are important and why they are different than having an online relationship with your people. So first of all, an in-person event allows you to read body language and nonverbal cues. It's really critical. You, you never really think about what you miss out on by only being online and having online conversations until you get around humans again and you realize, oh, there's a lot more to building a relationship, to talking about myself, to talking about my product, to trying to sell my product than there is online. You can't just rely on like a pretty Instagram picture or, um, you know, a hashtag strategy, which I kind of want to talk about Instagram at some point too, like, but, but not today. Anyway, so having that ability to read people above and beyond just an online conversation is so, so, so helpful and important and essential, really. I mean, we get a lot of information from people being able to see them in real life, which also leads me to the next point is that because we get so much information non-verbally, we can also get information verbally. This is a great way to do market research. It gives you a good idea of whether or not the event that you're part of is really like, are they your people? You'll figure that out pretty quickly, whether they are your people or they're not your people, what kinds of um, things they respond to, like how do they respond to you and what you're doing, which I've learned a lot about. And, um, and also like, how do they respond to the language that you use? How do they respond to your signage? How do they respond to your displays? All of those things are really, really critical information. They also will allow you to see what people are needing, what they're looking for, what gaps there are in your products that they're looking for that they can't find anywhere else or that they're not finding with any of the other vendors in the space. There's just like such, such, such like a wealth of information in that because we think about a lot of times when we try to do our market research, quote unquote, you know, we poll our audience on Instagram stories or something like that, where you consider that if you are lucky and you have a very engaged audience, only 10% of them are even seeing your stories. And then only a portion of those are even responding to the polls that you're doing. So it's, it's not always the best way to do market research. It's a good place to start, but being able to get in person, to talk to people, to glean a lot more information than just a choose this or this kind of box is so, 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 so great. It's great. All right. The other thing is that when you are in person, you can actually build relationships a lot faster because you're able to move through topics at a quicker pace. And typically you feel like a little less weird asking personal questions. And what I've noticed, you know, obviously doing things in person versus doing things online is that, you know, the, the space between a message and a response is you know, it doesn't exist, right? Like you say something, they say something back. You say something, they say something back. Like this is all happening in real time versus an online conversation. You know, you send a message or they send a message and then there's like, you know, multiple hours or a day between a response. And then, you know, you keep going back and forth that way. One conversation can take you an entire week unless you guys are like IMing or something. Um, so, things can change a lot within the course of that time frame versus if you're having that conversation in person 
or, you know, sometimes even via Zoom or via phone call, you know, you can get information a lot quicker. You can have conversations a lot faster. So if you are somebody who uh, doesn't like doing Zoom calls for market research or trying to get on, like you don't feel comfortable asking somebody to hop on a call with you to, so you can ask them questions, then going to an in-person event is probably more going to be your jam of being able to have more organic conversations just with the people who kind of come into your space. So let's talk about the types of events that we would run into. So we're looking at things like trade shows, uh, for us Yarnies, fiber festivals, trunk shows uh, are great, uh, which is basically where you who have like an online shop, you bring your product into an existing storefront and you sell it through them and they usually get like a cut. We'll talk about those a little bit more in depth in a minute. Pop-up events where basically you just get the opportunity to take, to like create a temporary storefront somewhere, wherever that is, uh, farmer's markets, craft fairs, renaissance fairs for you natural dyers or people who do kind of the historical sort of crafting, um, other conventions that may come in. I know some people have done things that like uh, Comic-Cons and, and stuff like that. Those are just some of the examples of things that are prevalent, that are the most common out there. Now, who can sell at these in-person events? anybody. And I, I would challenge you, if you think like my thing is not for an in-person event, I would challenge you to actually try to get creative with how you possibly could do something like that. Right? So let's say, okay, so most notably, we're going to think about indie dyers or, you know, shepherds who sell their wool, like having product-based businesses, being able to walk into a space and sell. But what if you're like, well, I'm a designer. Okay. So can you sell kits with your patterns? Can you sell printed copies of your patterns? Can you bring samples in so people can see what they look like for your displays? Like there are ways to do that. And the one thing I never see at fiber festivals that I think would go over well, depending on where you're at, but what about tech editors? Why don't you guys ever go to festivals? Set up a booth, set up samples of the things that you've edited before, show what editing looks like, talk about it with people, collect leads so that you can, you know, if people ever want to start designing or if they are a designer or their sister-in-law is a designer, then they can pass on your information. I think it would be really smart. And I literally, I never see people do it. Um, usually I see people who like our yarn shops that actually bring in a lot of the product that they sell in their shop. So they'll bring in books or they'll bring in, um, shawl pins, you know, stuff like that. Sometimes I see basket makers come in to fiber festivals specifically because a lot of people like to keep their yarn and handwoven, like pretty handwoven baskets. Listen, I do too. Um, people who sell, you know, project bags, notions, uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, even people will be smart enough if you're smart and you're like a shepherd or something and you'll sell like wool balls or those little bird nest kits where like you put a bunch of roving in like a little, I don't know, some sort of like open cage container and that birds can get it from. So that way, you know, when somebody brings their mom along with them to this fiber festival and mom has no idea how to knit or do anything, but she really loves birds or she definitely wants to support somebody, she can still buy some stuff. I see that a lot and I know that because my mom would come to support me and she would she doesn't do any of that stuff. So she would buy dryer balls, she would buy that kind of stuff. She'd buy project bags to like carry her lunch to work in. Um 
just things to think about. I'm getting off subject here, but anybody can sell at these things. It's just a matter of thinking about how can I creatively do it and are my people going to be there? Okay, so I want to talk about trunk shows specifically. They are a little bit of a different ball game than a bigger fiber festival. The reason is, is because you have less competition around you for the dollars that are being spent and the attention that people are giving you. So usually how this works, right? You have maybe say like a local yarn shop. Again, this can be like any kind of store that, that has a crossover audience. So if you are not, uh, like a yarny at all. Just, just try to like use your imagination with what this might apply to you. How, how, how this might apply to you. Usually like a local yarn shop or a local shop, whatever it is, typically has built a very loyal audience within their customers and a very warm audience, which means that they are ready to buy and they are comfortable buying from whoever this yarn shop owner suggests. You know, if they have feel comfortable bringing these products into their store, then their customers are going to be like, well, they wanted to bring it in and sell it to us, so I'm going to buy it. There's a lot of kind of like that relational buildup there is that they've built the relationship for you and you're just coming into their space and utilizing it. Very similar to somebody having, like me having a guest on my podcast and you saying, okay, well, I'm going to go buy from that person now because I trust that if Anastasia had them on their, on her podcast, then she probably, you know, I don't know, like likes them, has vetted them, trust them. So therefore I trust her judgment, right? That's just kind of that sort of thought process, but this is more in person. And then usually there is a cut of your sales that you make at these events that go to the shop but you have to work that out with them. I personally, when I did this, I had some shops when I very first started that would not charge me anything to come and do this. They just use it as an opportunity to get people in their door because people, when they come in the door, whether or not they're there for the trunk show, will likely still buy from the yarn shop in conjunction with the yarn dyer or whoever else is there. But I've also had them where they've taken a cut too. But it doesn't It doesn't really matter. Well, I mean, it does matter. You have to, to work that out with them. But typically I found that I make far more money at trunk shows than I do at fiber festivals. Again, because there's very little competition for the money that's coming through the door. So I'm able to pitch myself very unabashedly because people are there. They want to hear me talk. They want to hear about what I do. I usually have gotten the opportunity to give a little spiel about myself to people. And, you know, it's a good way to market yourself. Really, it's a great way to market yourself. And then, you know, you can be very like unashamed about it, to be honest, because that's what you're there for. That's the whole point. And if you build a good relationship with the shop owner, whether that is prior to you being there, which, you know, is is typically recommended. I usually recommend people actually try to like build a relationship with the shops before they try to do any form of collaboration or come in and sell with them. Um, you know, relationships are just really important in marketing. They just are. They're like the, the foundation of marketing is relationships. People, if they typically, like they don't have to like you, but if they like you and what you do or they like your values, then, you know, having you come in and sell in their space, they're going to be totally fine with that. Additionally, if you have a positive relationship, you can also possibly work out some sort of an ongoing partnership or wholesale relationship with them. You know, so I've had situations where I've come into a shop and um, there was unsold products and the shop owner 
offered to keep it in their shop and then anything that they didn't sell after an X period, you know, whatever, like 30 days, 60 days, they would mail the, they would mail the yarn back to me. And I had that happen in a few, few different situations, but it, it is one of those things that like yarn, yarn is great when you can see it and it's pretty. Um, but if you have yarn that has a story, which is really positive considering how many yarn dyers there are. But if your yarn has a story, you being there with the yarn to tell the story is so much more powerful than your yarn just sitting in a shop with nobody telling the story, right? You have to figure out a way to tell the story or get people to a space where they can learn about the story before they buy. And that's, that's a challenge. That's a huge challenge. Okay. So that's trunk shows in a nutshell, but let's talk about how to choose an event overall. When you look at the different types of events out there, thinking about or figuring out how much the organizers market the event itself and how much and how they market the vendors that are going to be there. This is really critical because if they aren't working hard to get people in the door, then it's not going to be worth your time to spend money to be there, right? They have to do their part of the job so that you can do your part of the job. And usually it's in their best interest, especially if they're charging a fee or if vendor fees are high, you know, obviously they want people in the door, but you can go back to past events, like, you know, what it was last year. You can look at their online marketing. How much did they talk about it? How much did they talk about each individual vendor? I see some events that when they present the vendor, they say the exact same thing every time. Like we are so excited that so-and-so is going to be here. We are so excited that so-and-so is going to be here. It's like, okay, come on guys, do a little bit better of a job than we are so excited that like, we know you're excited because we gave you money to be here. So, you know, that aside, how are you going to talk about us and, and being able to, as a vendor, know what you want them to say about you and giving them like that little blurb that tells people why your product is special and what it does for them will be so helpful to the organizers and may get their brains like working a little bit harder too because some of them need some help with that. But you're positioning yourself a little bit better prior to. Obviously you have to do your part in telling your people, hey, I'm gonna be here at this time on this day. Please come see me. Uh, I'd love to meet you, yada, yada, yada. So you have to do your part too, but knowing exactly how much the organizers are doing is also going to be important. The other question is what kind of foot traffic has it gotten in the past? Uh, this is sometimes a little bit hard. You can ask the organizers for sure. Um, that would be a really good place to start is saying, you know, how many people typically come to this event if you can't find it anywhere online? Um, if you can't find it anywhere online and it looks like it's pretty quiet, like their Facebook page is quiet or, you know, the event that they created on Facebook only had like 12 people respond, that might give you a good idea. But in general, you know, go straight to the organizers if you need that information. Um, or if you've been to it yourself, that's also a good thing. Like if you want to know whether or not a market will be good for you in the future and the deadline is passed for you to be part of one, go to it. Just go to it and see see what you think. See what kind of people are there. See what they do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I think that'll be, that'd be a good, a really good way to actually be in the midst of it and see how things are functioning. And another question to ask is, are there restrictions on how many of any certain types of businesses can show up? So this came up in the Slack group that I have where one particular yarn dyer, she's a yarn dyer now, but she had crocheted objects and she took them to like a comic festival, like a comic con. 
and there were in her space that she had been set up there were six other crochet people like basically doing something very similar and that in a in a place like that that can be really negative because you want to kind of put caps on what kinds of people sell what kinds of things especially if it's a pretty diverse group just so that there's you know unless you can figure out a way to market yourself right unless you can figure out a way to make yourself stand out so this is the second part of that like are there restrictions but do you care do you care because if you show up at a fiber festival per se those are going to be heavily 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 saturated in yarn dyers right like heavily saturated so you're going to need to just be aware of that going forward and figure out how can you make yourself stand out maybe with your display with what you talk about with what you sell etc that is going to be a challenge for you I kind of love those challenges I love being creative and coming up with like very clever ways to make myself stand out and I'll talk about how I've done it here in a little bit but obviously I'm not the only person who does it and other people are very successful so I mean, don't just go off of my personal experience. The, the other question to ask, well, I've got two more here. So one of them is how much does it cost? You know, if it's a very, very, very expensive thing, you know, I'm thinking like Vogue Knitting Live is very, very, very expensive. You need to be damn sure, pardon my French, that the people that are coming into that space are going to want what you have to sell. Because you need to be able to make that money back. It is a huge, huge entry cost to get in. But if you can go to your local farmer's market where they charge you like 10 bucks a market to just set up, if you want to test and see how many of those people in your area actually want what you do, that could be a really easy way to just have conversations, to talk to people. You know, it's just a, it's low stakes and possibly low return, but it gives you a way to kind of just get your feet wet, right? You can test it out. When I did farmer's markets at first, I learned pretty quickly that they were not for my thing. There were people who were in my town that knitted, and obviously a lot of them were in my knitting group, so they would come and support me, but not everybody was. Some people would buy yarn for, you know, their sister who knits or whatever, and I had one person who was uh, like a historical reenactor who came from 30 minutes away to come buy from me because she couldn't find naturally dyed stuff. So that was kind of cool, but she was the only one who did that. So I figured out that, you know, the amount of time that I was spending doing this and the amount of money I was making in response was not worth my time. So I, I stopped doing that, but it gave me a good place to like have some visibility. Everybody knew I existed. And then some people came and bought online for me later. And then the last question I would ask is, do you know anyone who has done the event before and will they share their experiences with you? Will they let you know how well they did there? Will they let you know how many people were there? You know, if there's somebody who's not tight lipped about what they've done in the past or, you know, how much they've made, which it's okay if they are, but if they're not, that can be a really helpful resource for you, especially if they are somebody who sells something similar to you or exactly the same as you, doesn't really matter, but just just somebody who's kind of got the lay of the land before. Okay, the other part of, well, just being in an in-person event, I mean, there's lots of things that you're gonna need to consider. So let's go through a basically consolidated list here. First of all, how is traffic going to flow to and inside of your booth space? So in, for instance, like if you put your merchandising around the perimeter, like the inside perimeter of your space, 
and not just a table right on the edge of like on the walkway, like on the place, the path that people are walking by. It gives people room and an invitation to come into your space when they are in your space and not on the outside of your space. They are much more likely to spend more time there and they're much more likely to be slightly more committed to looking at what you have as a result than having it. You know, I had once a corner booth, which there's, there's two ways I could do it. I could put my, you know, my L shaped tables right on the edge and I could sit on the inside of the booth, like behind the tables, or I could put the tables on the inside L and then set a chair out somewhere and have kind of like this space for people to kind of cut through, which a lot of people cut through to get around the corner, right? They didn't want to walk the whole corner. They wanted to kind of use my space as a, as a cut through space. But I had so many conversations as a result. Holy cow. That was probably one of my best fiber festivals ever was being on a corner spot. And I don't think I ever got one ever again anywhere, but I always tried. It just felt like it was such a pivotal place to be. And I got the traffic from kind of both, both walls. And then of course, like all the cut through people and the people who would apologize for cutting through like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like cutting through your booth. And then it created a big joke. And sometimes they bought for me. It was, I mean, just thinking about thinking about how the movement is going to be throughout your space. Even if you don't have a corner, how are they going to come in? How are going to, they going to flow? What happens if there's a bottleneck, even if it's a small space. And sometimes you get very small spaces, just think about how you can maximize that space and your place with in it too. So, you know, I typically, I would not recommend sitting behind a table. I recommend getting in the place where your customers are, be right next to them. You know, I know it's COVID, wear your mask, get vaccinated, do all those things, but be as close to them as you can be without being creepy. You know, being next to them is going to be much more personal than you hiding behind a table. And I'm going to talk about interacting with people here a little bit more in a second, but I have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of thoughts about it. So how are you going to be attracting attention and displaying your products, which is really crucial, especially in a place if it's like the market is saturated, there's loads of people doing what you do. What's going to make you stand out? How is your display going to look different than everybody else's? Dyers a lot of times use those Oh, I don't even really know how to describe them, but basically it's just like these metal grids, right? Just metal grids and they hang a bunch of yarn on them and they're black and everybody uses the same ones. Seriously, everybody uses the same ones. So how can you make yours look different? Even if you are using the metal grids, can you paint them a different color? Can you find different ways to hang things? You know, maybe it's in a shape instead of just like lines of yarn. Maybe you make it look like a rainbow or, you know, something that is visually eye-catching. Because again, if you want the attention, you're going to have to work for the attention. And don't just show up passively with no plan on this because it's not going to go as well as if you have a clear plan, if you can practice your displays at home, if you can get an idea of how things are going to look, you're going to be at an advantage to anyone who doesn't do that. I would also say trying to keep things as uncluttered as possible. I know when we have yarn, a lot of times we have like a lot of things. So putting them in compartments or spaces that you can kind of make things still look relatively minimal or at least not overwhelming is better. I've seen yarn shops that show up with like piles of books and just like gobs of stuff. 
And it's just really overwhelming. And of course I could sit there and like sift through it all, but I don't want to sift through it all. I want clear options. In general, when it comes to marketing, the less, you know, the less options that you give or like the fewer options that you give, the more likely somebody is to make a decision because overwhelm leads to decision fatigue, which leads to not making any decisions whatsoever. So just something to keep in mind. You can have a lot of product, just find a way to make it look not all like just messy and thrown all over the place. You know, find a way to organize it, make it look pretty, as pretty as you can, right? Given given the money constraints you have and the time constraints you have in order to like set it up. And if you even have help, you know, a lot of times I set up my displays all by myself. So I had to figure out a way to do that very, very efficiently. And even when I had people help, really all they did, I want you to load it in. I'm going to set everything up alone because I have a very specific system. When I did mine, so I had just white tablecloths. I had two six foot tables and then I did those plain crates from like Hobby Lobby, right? I set them on their sides. I stacked my yarn in them. I had probably like three on each table. So set in like a pyramid and then people could kind of go through them that way. And I think a lot of people use those now back then they didn't. So I looked completely different than everybody else with like fewer things of yarn, um, which sometimes I will say this, like having fewer products can sometimes make you look like you're not knowing what you're doing. You got to just make sure like the language is good around it, right? Like small batch, da, 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 using all those things that like limited, it will help people understand why you don't have as much product as everybody else does, you know, like a natural dye. Of course, I'm not going to have as much product as this like acid dyer over in the corner here who has a gazillion things of yarn and they just buy all of their wool from Chargers and mine's all from like a locally sourced farm. Yes, of course, I'm going to have way less than that. And so um, anyway, so I would have those out with some signage. So the first one, obviously, I'd have like a signage on a, on a, I had it on a easel sitting on the outside of my booth. So it was pointing out. So people didn't have to look in the booth to see who I was. It was just sticking out so people could see it as they walked by and be attracted by my, my very cool taglines, um, which were not cool at the time. It was just like, it was like naturally hand-dyed yarns. Like, that's it. It not it was just very basic but I had a pretty logo so I would have that out and then on my displays I would have frames I had these gold frames that I put in um, information about the type of wool that I had and about how I did things and I did that on purpose because if I got too many people in my booth at any given time and I could not explain how I did things could not give my story of my products, then it would be able to speak for me instead. And I found that really, really helpful. There weren't that many times I was overloaded with customers, but every once in a while I'd have like, you know, a pal or some an Instagram friends. I had a few Instagram loyal buyers who would like come to any event I was at and they were amazing and they were, it was so fun to talk to them. But of course, like when I'm talking to them, if other people are looking at my product, I'm not able to give them the attention also. So having something out there that allowed them to kind of self-serve in a way was, was beneficial because again, it was just me. I didn't have any help doing this whatsoever. Um, another thing that I did is I had a green, like I had AstroTurf rug on the outside cause I wanted it to look kind of 
oh, you know, like a yard, like a garden or something, because again, everything's naturally dyed. And I remember the day, this is very sentimental. This has nothing to do with marketing, by the way. But I remember the day that I decided I wanted that. And my dad had helped me. And I get like real sentimental about my dad because he died of COVID. Again, vaccinations, masks, we love those things because you don't want to be me sitting in bed every night crying because you miss your dad a lot. Um, But we went to, he took me to like Lowe's or something like that and um, helped me buy it, pick it out, get it measured for the space that I had. And, you know, he had this little tape measure and, you know, he's like very practical. And then he decided when we went to the cashier he wanted to buy it. And he said, I want to invest in your business. And I was just like the sweetest thing. I miss him to death. Anyway, um, moving on before I start crying, which I'm already doing. But so then I had that out and that was actually like that rug just really like totally transformed the space and made it just beautiful, right? Like it, it made it stand out significantly because all the floors are like gymnasium floors or like dirt floors. Um, I know I was in like some sort of like rodeo arena for something. Um, but it just gave people kind of like a, just something else to look at and grab their attention before they walked in. Okay. So that's basically, that's basically how my space was set up. Now, when you're looking at coming into these spaces that are very small, the, the goal is to try to move things vertically, right? Like we want to get the eye levels to move up so that you don't have to use as much horizontal space because that is limited. Vertical has more, you get more real estate that way. And if you think like a grocery store, think like a liquor store. Okay. Think like a liquor store where you go in and like the main, the main thing that people are going to buy is like right at eye level. Okay. And then they call it top shelf for a reason because top shelf is up higher and costs a lot more, you know, so there's, you know, those people know to look up, oh, I want my fancy scotch. Here we go. That's my husband. And then you start to go down and there you've got, you know, Captain Admiral's garbage rum or whatever, which is what my dad really used to like. Um, (laughs) and that stuff costs like four bucks for a handle of it. So, you know, think like that, you know, what is the prime stuff that people typically love in your business? And is that front and center? Is that where people can see it at eye level? And then your other stuff can work around it. I'm sure there's loads and loads and loads of visual merchandising tips that are out there on the internet. So feel free to go crazy with that. Um, you know, I worked in retail quite a bit. I worked for Banana Republic. I worked for Gap. I worked for J Crew. I worked for GameStop. Um, I'm very cool. And there was a lot, a lot of different types of merchandising within that, depending on the kind of clientele. But in general, it's kind of all the same. You know, you want your prime stuff right up front, the stuff that's not necessarily high ticket, but, uh, you know, just like the most accessible and the most popular. And then you kind of move to your high ticket stuff. And then in the back's like the sale garbage. Um, I don't think you should have that much for sale at your booth, but that's just me. Okay. So we've talked about kind of that visual merchandising. Another thing that I would highly recommend if you have a booth, get people on your mailing list, assuming that that's permitted, you know, depending on the event that you have, just make sure that everybody's like, cool. Yes. If you want to get people's emails, it's a great time to do it. Put a sheet of paper. That's all you have to do. Sheet of paper, email list. You can put that on there. You can, you can make it sound fancier too. You know, you can make it more like what your landing page says. You know, if you want X, Y, or Z, here's this, or you can give people an exchange coupon, right? Like, so they give you their email list. You give them like, I don't know, like a 
a coupon code or you can text them or you can, depending on how you send information, you can have business cards with coupons, like a coupon code on it or um, a specific, you can just like print it out on regular paper and cut it up in like little squares and give that to people. And then you can use those discounts to track when people come back and buy from you later. But don't use the discounts necessarily at the event. I mean... Some people are like, trade show deal, you get this much off. I, I, I mean, you could. I just really don't think discounts are very smart. I just don't think they are. But the reason why it's smart to do it this way and give a coupon code if people sign up for your email list or are like at all, if they walk in your booth at all and you give them a coupon code to buy from you later on a later date, you can figure out how many people you got from a specific event. And that's, that's research, you know, that's actually like, you know, that's like Google analytics in real life. Anyway, I digress. And then and now can we please talk about like how you interact with people when you're there? Oh my gosh, I have seen all kinds, okay? So one of the very first Fiverr festivals that I went to, I was next to this gal who was selling project bags. And she was behind her table. Her table was on the walkway, right? So there, she, she wasn't utilizing the interior space, which I don't recommend anyway. Oh, she was sitting there and she was knitting and barely looking up at people and when people came by the booth or like came by her stuff and they would look at it, she'd say, hi, let me know if you have any questions. And that's literally all she would say. And if they started talking to her anymore, she would talk about how tired she was. Oh my gosh. Do not talk about how tired you are. You are going to be tired. You are running an in-person event. It is exhausting. You have to carry a bunch of crap in. You have to stand there and smile for hours and you have to answer questions. You have to talk to people. It takes so much energy to be at these events. Don't tell people you're tired. Oh, that's so dumb. It's so dumb. You know, act like you have all the energy in the world. And if you don't ask your friend or your dad or your sister, somebody bring me some coffee. The organizers might have coffee for you. Some organizers are like amazing that we had this one, this one event that, uh, they would, they had like volunteers. So if you needed to go to the bathroom and you didn't have a helper, like, uh, you could ask them and they would take your place for a second while you went to the bathroom and then you got like a lunch meal. And if, when you needed to go eat lunch, they would, they would stand in for you, which I didn't love that myself because I wanted to be the person talking about my stuff. I didn't want anybody else to talk about it, but that was so nice to have like just helpers. Right. And then sometimes they'll bring you bottles of water. Like some of these events are amazing and these people are great, but either way, don't talk about how tired you are. Just get some coffee, do the work, be happy. People want to buy from happy people. They don't want to buy from people who are like really tired and really grumpy. Okay. So the other thing that I would say, don't just sit in a chair and knit please, or weave or felt or whatever, unless you are doing a specific demonstration that has a sign demo of X, Y, Z. So people can see what you're doing. Otherwise it just looks like you're getting your shit done on work time, like right on their time. I've seen people spin. It looks like that. You know, if you don't say this is a demo of spinning, it just looks like you're just doing your work like while you're there, which would be great, right? Like we love to all like just get stuff done when we have free time, but this is not the time to do it. Your in-person event is not the time to do that. This time 
is for you to build relationships with people. You need to talk to people. I once read in a book, um, and it was it was like for service based businesses. So this doesn't necessarily like apply completely to product-based businesses, but no sale was ever made outside of a conversation. And I love that because it's true. It's true in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously we go to Walmart and we can buy a pair of scissors and I don't need to talk to anybody or have anybody sell them to me. Like, you know, the packaging speaks for itself or I just need some scissors and I don't really care what kind I buy. But in general, when we're talking about small businesses, having conversations is the most important thing. I don't care if you're weird. I don't care if you're awkward. I don't care if like you are the most introverted person on the planet. Find a way to leverage who you are and make it work. And if you are a super introvert, get your peppiest friend who also loves you and loves what you do and understands what you do to come with you and help you. I've had this. My friend, my friend Emily, my best friend Emily, she is not a knitter. She, nothing like that. She has come with me to events And if I'm in the bathroom or if I'm busy with another customer, she is up, but she's also like very into like retail and like uh, marketing and she's just like whip smart. So she will sit there and she will like, she will do all my blurbs. She knows everything that I say. She knows my business almost better than I do sometimes. I swear it. But she would be there like working for me and having that was amazing. I know not everybody has an Emily. Like not everybody will have an Emily. Emily is really just like, she's just my Emily. I'm not going to give her to anybody else. So if you want one, you'll have to find your own. But having that is really invaluable. But either way, like if you are an introvert, having something else there that is comforting could be a bolster to you. Um, But don't use it as a way to hide. So if you do bring a friend, you guys are both aware or or a husband or whatever, you guys are both aware that you're there to make sales. You're not there to like hang out with each other as much as you want to hang out with each other, right? Like this is like a job. This is like work. If you were coworkers and your boss was watching you, they wouldn't want you just chit-chatting like ninnies because people are put off by that. They see that and they're just like, okay, well, they're not interested in talking to me. They want you to talk to them and they want you to talk to them about them, not about you, not about your pal, not about what you and your pal are talking about, about them. Okay, this is very hard with my Emily because we are real big chit-chatters. And like we go to parties and we're in a bubble and we don't pay attention to anybody else. At a party, this is college, right? Like in a, at a party at college, totally cool. When I'm trying to sell shit, sorry, pardon my French again, not cool. So actually talk to people. I'm like really railing on this because I see... I see so many business owners neglect that. And if you start with, hi, let me know if you have any questions, that is nothing. Get them talking to you. Get them talking to you. Ask some questions. I used to ask people, um, are you a knitter? Are you a crocheter? Or you do, do you do all of it, right? Because most people would be like, oh, yeah, well, I also spin and I felt and I have sheep and I do this and I do that. And, like, you know, it's the rabbit hole of fiber arts. You know, you start in one place and you end up like, whoa, I have, like, now 7,000 hobbies. But just find a way to, like, bring up conversations that help you get into some sort of rapport, comment on the sweater that they're wearing, which they probably knit because a lot of fiber artists wear their knit stuff or their crocheted stuff to these events. Ask them what pattern it is. Ask them what kind of yarn they use. You know, um, if you are a natural dyer, ask them if they've ever had yarn that's naturally dyed. Um, Tell them the, you know, why it's different than some of the other dyes. I used to put also like jars of my dye stuffs 
uh, the things that I had foraged or bought or whatever, and I'd put them in jars so people could see them and I could show, this is what it looked like before, this is what it looks like on yarn. This is what it looked like before, this is what it looks like on yarn. And that was very fun. People really liked that. And I remember very specifically, again, this is an aside, but this is just another type of conversation, right? So I had these this group of older gals, right, retired gals, that came over that were real giggly. They were amazing. Um, but they came over and they <laughs> looked at my... Uh, I had some yellow yarn that I used to dye from, it's called yellow dock and it kind of sort of ish looks like goldenrod sort of kind of, um, but it grows in the ditches here twice a year. So you can get a spring harvest, you can get fall harvest. And I was telling them that, you know, it's like a ditch weed, but it's not ditch weed. And of course they were all from the era of the sixties and everything. So they were telling me about all their experiences with ditch weed. And it was very, very funny, but they ended up buying from me. And then uh, one of them actually had a farm of Icelandic sheep. I've got a bunch of her yarn that is still like a, like a precious one to me. And I still don't know what I'm going to make with it. But it's really light and soft versus some of those really heavier Icelandic yarns. Again, this is nothing to do with merchandising. But it was really fun. And we made those relationships. And, um, you know, I made relationships with other vendors. I didn't spend a lot of time talking to other vendors at events. Again, I think that's detrimental. Um, I, you know, some of them can come buy from you, but you are there to work. You're not there to make friends. I know that sounds so bad, doesn't it? But you really, truly, um, I would have, I did have one vendor that I kept getting put at, like everywhere we would go. Like we, when we were all, when we were both selling in Iowa, we would just like, be at every single one and we would be right next to each other. Her name was Bonnie. She had Jacob sheep. Um, one time she got to bring her Jacob sheep as part of her setup, which was great for attracting attention. Holy cow. So fun to see them there, but I have some of her dryer balls and I'm sure she's bought yarn from me. And anyway, you know, like we had a relationship of like, Hey, how are you? How's this going? Can I help you? That kind of thing. But it wasn't just sitting and chit-chatting, which I've seen a lot at fiber festivals. Like, you know, we all sell at the same thing. So we're all yakking to each other. It's like, wait until you're done. Go do your big like fiber friends dinner afterwards, right? Because some of them do that. And I've gone to those before as well. So go to the parties afterwards. Just do your job. Just do your job. Make your sales. That's what you need to do. You need to make your money back. You need to make more money than your money back. And you need to like earn a living. So friends are great. Money's better in this case. Money's better in this case. Okay. So please, 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 please talk to people. Please don't sit in a chair and just knit the whole time or spin or whatever. Like be active. If you are, if you have downtime and you want to be sitting and knitting, fine. When somebody walks into your booth, you get up, right? Like that's, that's easy. Or sometimes people are put off by that. I've learned that. I used to stand like every single minute. And, um, I realized that some people were put off by that. Like they want you to be not necessarily paying attention to them until they're ready for that. So sometimes I would wait, I would knit for a little bit and then I would just kind of say hi and then start my conversation. And then I would get up and have, and talk to them. Right. So I would kind of ease into that with the people that I could tell did not want me just like coming at them. I'm really not a come at you kind of person either. So that worked better for me as well. One thing that I did that I always felt was very clever of me is that I would, I would knit something with my own yarn. Like I would have it there and I was knitting with it, with it. And it was a huge conversation starter. A lot of times, especially if I did something that was color work. And if I left it on the chair, even if I didn't knit it, sometimes I'd bring stuff that was in progress, but not finished. And I would just lay it on the chair. Conversation starters galore. And I would have lots of talks about what I was making, 
uh, maybe about the pattern, maybe about the yarn I was using. Um, and if I was also selling more of that yarn, even better. Okay. This is turning into a very, 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 very long podcast, but there's just so much about in-person events that are so beneficial. But if you can be prepared, bring snacks, right? Bring snacks, bring water, bring coffee. If you're going to bring coffee, also bring a lot of water, um, have plans, have people that can help you set up. If you can't find a good system for doing it all on your own, you can, you can do it on your own. You can. And there will be people typically who will help you anyway, but if they don't, you can manage it. So don't be scared of that. Don't be scared of doing in-person events. They're fun. They're so fun. The people are fun. They want to be there. They want to meet you. They want to give you their money, but you do have to work for it a little bit. You know, just enjoy the experience, understand you're going to be tired, understand it's going to be exhausting, but understand that it's also going to be fun and it's going to be an invaluable experience for you. Um, if you have any other questions on this, you know, just let me know. I love to talk about in-person stuff. I wish I was still doing it. I probably should still do it. I wonder if like being a business coach at a fiber festival for fiber artists would go over. I'd have to see. Anyway. All right. Um, let me know if you have any other questions. And then uh, next week, actually, we are going to talk to Janet LeBlanc with Paper and Spark, which I'm so excited about because uh, I talk about her all the time. But she does a lot of accounting stuff, a lot of budgeting stuff for makers. And I think you guys are going to find it good. Very, very, very good. Very, very helpful. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.